football frenzy. Hey, you hit me so hard down there. The football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Company. Villanova in as a winner. Moving on, two seed beats Delaware 80 to 60. They also cover the 15 in that one. So Villanova and Ohio State is on Sunday in Pittsburgh. Texas now leading Virginia Tech 18-14. Ten minutes left in the first half, and uh, it is confirmed. Dangerous Danny was talking to uh, the large throng of folks rooting for VTech. Turns out it's a bunch of students, so there you go. This is the best lesson they're going to learn the entire time in school. Coming to Vegas, learning how to be an adult, money money management, say it. Yeah, probabilities, math, money budgeting, all those things. I'd be uh, much better off with my money if I was allowed to come to Vegas when I was 18, 19, 20 years old. Sure. Why? I mean, I think they're 21 because they're in the sports book. That's a good point. Yeah. When did that ever hold anyone back, right? Adam? Well, here, vacation here, village at and, uh, here at the Superbook, though, they're very good. Yes, they are very stringent about at it. The, at Vacation Village, not so much. What was your joint? It was a Nevada Palace on Boulder? Uh, no, it was uh, Bourbon Street. But oh, Nevada Palace was for a time, but it was yeah. Vacation Village, and then when that went away, it was Bourbon Street. Adam was a large Ophis child by the time he was 13 sure. um, with a full beard, so he looked like he was like 25. And uh, may have been playing illegally, but parlays every day at 16. I, living that smart life. betting, sure. Smart betting. Oh yeah. <laughs> Learning disappointments throughout life. Football frenzy. So Devontae Adams. I mean, it, it's every day that you know. If you say, hey, there's a front page story about the NFL blockbuster deal. Devontae Adams was the block was the blockbuster deal. <laughs> now it's the biggest deal, biggest move in the NFL when it comes to Las Vegas. And we're going to get into this a lot more this hour. Uh, but it's already been usurped by Deshaun Watson made a decision, and it wasn't the Saints, wasn't Atlanta, wasn't the Panthers. It turns out the Browns were in it the whole time, and all that back-and-forth stuff with Baker Mayfield, well, he is going to go somewhere else. Deshaun Watson will be a Cleveland Brown for a ton of money. And, and I know it, everything's changing very quickly. Baker Mayfield has chosen his destination, too. Oh, stop. Is he really doing this? Yeah. He went to the Browns and said, Colts want me, get me to Indy. Have the Colts? No. Has anyone confirmed that from the Colts? No. But Baker Mayfield said the Colts want yeah. him. My guess is the Colts want him, but he's their fourth option. I mean, right now? He might be first. Let's talk to Sean Watson first. Cleveland's a good choice. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, never, I never really got the interest with the Saints, and I, I know people will throw it out there. Oh, good organization. Is it? Sean Payton's gone. Yeah. It's a totally different organization. I don't like the hire of Dennis Allen. The league is hiring young, mostly offensive-minded coaches. Yeah. And they, they're they giving a guy a second chance who's older. They have been in salary cap hell. Just because they restructured some deals doesn't mean they're out of salary cap hell. So I didn't understand the Saints. I thought the Falcons was going to be a really weird one because the Falcons were going to have a lot of dead money to deal with if they got Watson and had to get rid of Matt Ryan. Browns is a great landing spot. Oh, uh, you know, like I've, I've, you know, I said it earlier, but I'll say again, I think they're the smartest organization in sports, if not, I mean, I think they're in the top, if Why? not the smartest. Just I love what they're how they're structured. I love how they've assembled teams they've they've invested heavily in the most important positions we've talked about the the problem with the Colts roster being they've got some incredible players and they're all at the least 
important positions. Like, they're strong at offensive guard and linebacker, which are like, okay. I mean, they're, you know, every position matters, but right. it's the, the least amount of value. Uh, a running back, offensive I mean, da- guard, Darius linebacker. Leonard is, Darius Leonard is really good. Yeah. And the Quentin Nelson thing is really interesting because last offseason, before they knew what was happening with Eric Fisher, um, I heard Frank Reich on some interview, I think it was on SiriusXM, saying that Quentin Nelson can, can play tackle. Sure. Like, he can play it. So it's almost like they're, you know, they're 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 wealthy uh, enough on the offensive line where they can stick them inside. And then you, I, I talked over you, I spoke over you. Most important positions where the money should go is uh, corners, tackles, you know, receiver, quarterback, obviously, um, edge rusher. Like that's where you, that's where you want to invest. And the, and the Colts have, you know, obviously in the draft they try to go get in those positions. Um, but the Browns, like last year going to the draft, people were like, oh, they're they're really good at corner. And what they do? Draft at a corner. Like get strong, get you can never have yeah. enough corners. That's like such a building block position. And the offensive line is very good with Cleveland. Obviously, they've got you know running backs and they've got uh, Amari Cooper now too, and a quarterback and everything to go along with it. But they are they are building a franchise the right way and putting talent at all the right spots with Cleveland. Um, so I I just think that they've done a lot of really good things, and I think Deshaun Watson recognizes that. And you mentioned the Saints. I, I think. He probably noticed that and said, "Yeah, they're they've been a good organization. Are they now? We don't know what their direction is going to be. We don't know how good of an organization. And with the Falcons, there's just nothing uh, to be excited about if you're uh, stepping in there. So um, I, I think he reconsidered. He looked at his options and said, "Well, if Cleveland is going to match everything I want financially uh, from a deal, I might as well go there." And yeah, the other giving up a bunch of picks, but they've got a roster that's pretty solid. Um, obviously, you want. more infusion of talent but they've got a roster that's very solid around them too so you just mentioned running back not being that important and we'll see jonathan taylor is awesome well we're going to see what they what the colts do with johnny taylor when it's his time to get paid is it pretty clear now what the raiders are doing at running back they're not keeping both high dollar guys right i don't think so i mean they just brought in brandon bolden from the patriots uh yesterday amir abdullah Who's not guaranteed to make the roster? Yeah. But what are they doing? Well, this is what they've done. I, I think one of the things that you can take from this is they are what we thought they were in that they are building the Patriots. They're quiet about everything that they're that they're doing. Love it. They are, you know, when they came in and said, and we were like, wait, you can't play, you can't play three four. Right. With Unique and Gakwe, they're right. like, oh, we'll figure no, we're it fine. out. Yeah, we're good. And then they don't said, don't worry no, about no. it. No, we're gonna go get guys that can't play three four right. like Chandler Jones. Yeah. Meanwhile, they're, I mean, they're basically lying through their teeth. We're good. No, yeah, yeah. Unique's he's good. He's good. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're gonna mix it up. Don't worry about four three three four. So they're they're doing what we thought they'd do in terms of building the Patriots in the West. Uh, that's what they thought it would be, and that's what the Patriots have done. They've had a ton of running backs. They've had, you know, a bunch of guys that can do a lot of different things. They've had, you know, it drives fantasy people nuts. Drives me nuts, of course. But, you know, with the Patriots, you've got. Burkhead and White and Bolden and all these guys that do a whole bunch of different things at running back, that's what they're doing here. They're just stockpiling guys that can play in the backfield and play a whole, whole bunch of different roles. So it makes sense from that perspective. Okay, but this is where it differs, and this is where I was wrong because I was right along with you on, hey, this is going to be the Patriots. They're going to be quiet, right? They're going to rebuild the roster. But what the Patriots rarely did was pay this many guys. This is a this is a break from Patriots tradition that you're gonna have a receiver at 29 mil, you know, defensive ends combined at roughly like 36 million dollars. 
quarterback probably north of 30. Wide, re- you know, I just mentioned the wide receiver. The, you know, I don't remember the Patriots outside of Brady really investing high dollars in the best guys. Yeah, you're right. Five you're right about them. that. Um, but it was, you know, that that was also when they had Brady and they just put pieces around him. Uh, this that is a different approach in terms of paying guys a lot of money. Uh, but I also think that they they saw opportunities where they could attack and go get them, and they did do, you know, the Patriots. When there was splashy moves to be made, they did apparently you know, sometimes go out and do them. And it looks like, at least right now, when they're trying to put their stamp on things, they're willing to go out and make as much of an investment as they have to. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Now back to Cofield and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. By the way, big day here in Vegas as uh, some of our other professional sports teams like the Silver Knights, minor league hockey team, they're going to be on Fox Sports Las Vegas, our sister station, starting at 630. They're in San Diego against the Gulls. And we've got an indoor football team now at the brand-new arena in Henderson. The Nighthawks will be playing at 7 o'clock tonight. That is on another one of our sports stations. We've got 25 of them. Sure. Uh, 1230 the game. So, so far, the morning and afternoon slate here, it's been pretty good for the high seeds. Let's start breaking down what's happened today and go back to yesterday, look ahead to tonight. So much to get to. We're hanging out at Westgate Superbook. And Corey Williams, who played at Arizona, uh, basketball analyst, is up with us. Corey, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How about yourself? We're good. Yeah, we appreciate you uh, you jumping in with us here. So let's, uh, let's talk a little bit of what's going on right now and uh, Pac-12. I don't know if you're tracking this one, but about four minutes left in the game. I think I have the time right on that one. And USC is in a freaking dogfight. Yeah, 351 left. They're down three to Miami. What did you think of SC coming into the NCAA tournament? Well, I thought SC definitely had a chance to win the first two games of the tournament when you look at how talented they are and the size. Um, But lately, the last month, they were a little inconsistent. You know, the rivalry with UCLA, the games against Arizona, they've been tested. They're a solid team. Um, but I definitely thought they you know, they were good enough to win their first two games. But it looks like this one's going to come down to the wire with Miami. So, we'll see. What, what did you think of the Pac-12 overall this season? I, you know, I'm, I have, I'll be openly admitting to my West Coast bias. <laughs> I think the Pac-12 is a little stronger than people would like to admit. I felt like Oregon and possibly Stanford or Colorado could have also made the tournament. But I have to be honest, Oregon didn't handle its business towards the end of the year. They had some losses that definitely knocked them out of contention. The same with Stanford, the same with Colorado. Colorado had the big win over Arizona, but nothing else really jumped off their resume to warrant them getting in. But I think with the Pac-12, it happens every year. You know, the games are on late. Most people go to – most people – half the country's asleep when these guys are playing ball. So – you know, last year we ended up with a, with a good number of teams in Elite Eight. This year, I think Arizona, Stanford, I'm sorry, Arizona, SC, and UCLA can all get to the Sweet 16. Uh, I think that's a possibility. Let's play off of that. Did you think, as compared to the Pac-12, the Mountain West getting four and the West Coast Conference getting three teams in was kind of a joke? Well, West Coast Conference, I mean, you know, the Zags are the no-brainer. It's usually a question of whether St. Mary's can sneak in as well. I think San Francisco earned a right to get a look. Uh, Mountain West, eh, I was surprised that they did as many as they did, but, you know, 
it, it fluctuates, and I, I constantly am emailing Lenardi all the time. He emails, I, I respond, I text him, and I'm politicking for Pac-12 teams. And some of the stuff he comes up with when I first see his releases, I'm like, are you kidding me? So I give him a hard time, but then again, I, I don't want to be the person in the war room making those decisions either. So not easy. I'm just interested, when you do lobby and you politic for that, I have always believed that the committee absolutely reads Lenardi and follows him, and that if you, you know, if you have a good seed or you're in the tournament in his bracket, you have a better chance of getting in just because the committee follows. Do you agree with that? Is that part of why you're politicking? Absolutely. I mean, Joe, Joe Lenardi is like in the 95 percentile of what he's talking about. He knows the at-large bids. Those are, you know, those are the ones that really people are concerned with. Um, everything's about the net, which he understands. I think his voice, because of his platform, his voice and his reach is so loud. If you believe contrary to what he's saying, you're in the minority. And I think they've got to make sure that they don't continue to take his word as gospel. I love him. He's my ESPN colleague. But at the same time, you know, there need to be a lot of different voices on this because when you're talking about these at-large bids, and, you know, you look at the NIT, there's three or four teams in the NIT that easily could be playing in the NCAA, but it just didn't work out that way. Um, they need to take a look at it, and I say the more voices you have, the better. You know, it's funny because I actually thought the opposite about Lenardi, that he's been juiced in with the committee forever, and he basically has who they have throughout the year in the tournament. Like, I think he has their list, but that's interesting. I'd never heard the, the flip side of that. Um, one more thing on you mentioned the West Coast Conference. So the West Coast Conference goes into the tournament. Uh, they had three high-scoring performances last night. Mountain West Conference is a defensive league because I think outside of CSU, and they're pretty good defensively, everyone tries to build their team to beat San Diego State, which is you know 90% defense. Do you think there's something maybe flawed in the approaches in the Mountain West Conference where everyone wants to play top-notch D but also short-sides it with the offense and they want to play bully ball? Well, I think the, it kind of, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, I think it lends itself to the recruiting. The Mountain West isn't like the super sexy conference. when guys. It's not that there aren't good destination schools and there aren't great basketball schools there, but I think the Mountain West just typically gets a different kind of player. Yes, there are guys who can score, but you mentioned up-tempo, sexy basketball, wide open, with all that, that's not a lot of, of the programs in the Mountain West. They are half-court, grinded-out, defensive-type coaches and systems and programs, and that's just the way the league is. Um, I remember doing Mountain West games a couple of years before CBS got on, and we already knew it's going to be a low-scoring affair. It's going to be possession by possession. It's going to be a lot of free throws. Um, when you do Pac-12 and WCC, guys are going to chuck up threes and run the court. I don't know why the Mountain West is the way it is, but it's been that way for quite a long time. So I, I agree with your, you know, your point. It's a defensive league, and I think those are the type of kids that end up going, uh, accepting offers to go to those schools. Yeah, you know, the funny thing is, I thought about four years ago, the league was finally getting it, and they were playing four out, one in with a lot of teams and had a bunch of three-point shooters. But then Boise brought in some Pac-12 recruits like ACOT and uh, – Abu Kijab, who are bigger guys, kind of grinders at 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, and, and obviously the angle on all of this is UNLV has been trying to build back to be a consistent NCAA program, and I think they've been caught with all these coaches trying to build a, a team that's right for the conference and maybe not right nationally. And, the you know, the crazy thing is, Corey, I'm sure you, I'm sure you saw it. Like, I, I caught, you know, I'm on the broadcast team with UNLV watching Bryce Hamilton, like one of the best scorers on the West Coast, if not the country, was – just fascinating, but UNLV didn't have enough 
scorers beyond him. Right. And that's the thing. I mean, these guys, you get a great scorer in a system, and he's like, you know, he needs a wingman. They've all got a guy, one or two guys that can be showstoppers. But in terms of, you know, you look at the wealth that a UCLA has with Jaime Jaquez, Johnny Juzang, Tiger Campbell. Arizona's got three guys that can give you 20. I mean, there's just an abundance of riches in the, West, in, in, in the Pac-12. And even in the WCC, you'll see a team like San Francisco shoot the ball amazingly from three with guys that aren't household names. But for some reason, like you said, WC, uh, Mountain West, they get a hold of one or two scorers, and the rest are tweeners, uh, power centers that are, small and, are too small and actually are power forwards. Your, your small forward is a guy who's normally a power forward, but he's got to play the three. They get a lot of tweeners, and I think it's just a different style of basketball. Let's go back to uh, the tournament and what happened last night. That was a scary opener for UCLA. It really was, and I was joking with my buddy. I said, Mick Cronin needs to uh, buy Tiger Campbell breakfast and do his laundry because he saved him last night. Yep. It was no question about it. UCLA's offense was stagnant. They had nothing going. They were shook. They were scared. They were ready to get knocked off. And Tiger Campbell just put the team on his back. He made three consecutive plays that had nothing to do with coaching. It was just, I'm better than you. I'm going to make some plays. And he got them the breathing room they needed. But if I'm UCLA, you got to get more out of your guys. And it's unfortunate because of the success they had last year. This whole season didn't start for them until last night. Because in the preseason, all we said was they're returning so much talent. They were an Elite Eight team last year. They got to get back to that this year. It's impossible to play a 25 game season, and all everybody's talking about is where you have to get back to next year. That's the pressure, and they looked really tight last year or last night because, to be honest with you, that's when their season began because no one cared about anything that happened up until right now. They need to surpass the Elite Eight performance last year. Otherwise, people who don't know basketball will deem this season a failure, and that's unfair, but we all know that's just kind of the way it goes. How concerned are you right now about the ankle of a certain point guard down in Tucson? I'm going to put it to you like this. It's his ankle, not his wrist. As long as he can shoot, then they'll be okay. Because I think with Arizona, defensively when you have an ankle injury, that's the question. Can you go? Not can you shoot, can you actually defend? And I know that's Tommy Lloyd's philosophy. Is he going to be a liability defensively? We don't need him to break down the defense. We don't need him to go one-on-one and make lots of fancy plays. we got other guys that can do that. Um, I'm not too concerned about it. Because I know ankle injuries, I, I would like to think I was a shooter back in my day, and I played on a stress fracture for an entire season. Um, where it hinders you is if you're a guy who has to play real defense and lockdown, then, yeah, an ankle injury is an issue. But if you're out there running off screens and getting, you know, uh, skip passes for threes, the ankle's not a factor. So. Williams, uh, former Wildcat, Arizona Wildcat, is with us, ESPN analyst. What, what have you thought? I mean, obviously, it's it's an easy answer of he's been amazing, but how quickly Tommy Lloyd has kind of put his stamp on this program? Well, what I think is great about Tommy is Tommy inherited a lot of players that were recruited by Sean Miller. There's no secret to that. But what Tommy was able to do is change the way that they played. And from a psychological standpoint, he came in, he really got to know those guys and figure out their strengths. And the way that they play defense, they take charges, they block shots. And the thing that I like about this Arizona team is, and I played on a lot of teams in my career, 
they celebrate each other's victories. When one guy takes a charge, it's like three other guys and the guys on the bench clapping and cheering for that play. One guy makes a dunk, it's the other guys jumping up and down high-fiving. That type of infectious chemistry is what, is what Tommy has brought to Arizona. He is a laid-back, intense guy. I don't know if that makes any sense, but if you've had a chance to be in practice or shoot around, he doesn't use a lot of four-letter words. His voice doesn't really get high but you have to listen to what he's saying because he means every bit of it. And they're so deep that if you don't do what he's asking, he can go get it from somewhere else. So practice is competitive. Guys are still competing for minutes. But this Arizona team is different because these guys actually like each other. They really do. By the way, Tommy Lloyd, also not a lunatic on the sidelines. I saw a really good story by Bruce Pascoe uh, for the Tucson paper talking about how coaches coach the game. And, you know, many of them are standing the entire time, micromanaging, screaming at the refs, screaming at the players. And as a player, like, I, you know, I, I'm not saying I don't want to play for that guy completely, but I would rather have someone who picks their spots and is sitting most of the game, not screaming at me. Well, yeah, you know, every player is different. And sometimes it's like, okay, am I, am I bringing something positive? Am I, am I impacting the game with my yelling and my screaming? Is that helping my guys? Right. Am, I a, am I a distraction to my guys? I mean, that's what every coach has to, to try to figure out. Some coaches know, hey, if I don't get on these reps, we're going to get screwed in this road game. So they get on the reps. Some coaches know, if I don't yell at this player, he's not going to respond. I think Tommy has a good gauge of where his guys are. But the most important thing, and I had a coach tell me this years ago, he said, if you guys are looking over here to me the last three or four minutes of the game, then I've failed you as a coach. I don't want you looking over here wondering what to do. We go to practice, we work on our stuff, go do your job, and we'll talk about it afterwards. And that responsibility lets the guys know, hey, coach, trust us, and I'm not going to get the hook if I make a bad play. So in that regard, I think Tommy Lloyd's approach is perfect for the team that he has. He's a laid-back guy. He picks and chooses his spots to be vocal with the refs, and he's doing an outstanding job. That's why he was coach of the year. Yeah, I, uh, I love what you just said there. And you know, going back to your comment about people in the Midwest and the South and the East sleeping literally on what happens with the West Coast basketball. For those folks who think Arizona is some sort of, you know, up and down, you know, uh, sleek brand of basketball, watch them when they walk on the floor because I got to see them up close when they were here in Vegas. And, man, Hunter Dickinson, the game before, was dunking and flexing and, you know, I thought acting like a fool at 7-1 and 260. He went against Tubelas and Coloco, and he was emasculated. Like, Right. This is a big, and they're not only big because they also have, uh, you know, Ballo coming off the bench, but they're not only big, you know, at the key position you'd expect, bigness. They're big all over the floor. And that's the thing. When you see that big lineup as a guard, you instantly think, let me blow past this bigger, taller guy. And what happens is you do that, and now you're facing even bigger people. So you beat a Dalen Terry or a, a, a Matherin, and you end up trying to finish over Coloco or Ballo or – to Bellis, who's every bit of 6'10", there's a calm that Arizona has defensively because they expect to block your shot. They're kind of disappointed when they don't. They expect you to shoot wild, crazy runners and floaters because their size is huge. And I tell people this all the time. Arizona is a national championship team when Coloco can play more than 25 minutes. With him on the floor, it just takes away the majority of layups. Most teams don't adjust. But when he's in foul trouble early, you see Arizona go down to the stretch. He's that big of a part of their, what they do. 
Corey, great spot. We know you're a busy guy. Appreciate it. We'd love to talk to you before the end of the tournament, and thanks for carving out some time for us. Hey, no worries. Glad to do it, fellas. Take care. There he is, Corey Williams, former player with Arizona, analyst with ESPN. Yeah, I was just looking back, too. Early season, Arizona played Illinois, and Coloco actually got in foul trouble there, but they have backup bigs. You know, Tubelis is a starting big, but also the uh, backup big they got from Gonzaga. And you remember, I mean, when you the, uh, another guy, first of all, Coloco is like s- seven foot 240, and he's just, he's chiseled, right? Intimidating dude. Well, there's no more intimidating guy than Kofi Coburn. <laughs> and, and, wow. uh oh, we'll explain that in a second. Um, and that Arizona team was so big and tough that Coburn went 5 of 15, had 13 points, but just was not efficient and couldn't muscle around the opponent in that one. All right, so clearly there's some big halftime action going on with Texas and VTech. What did Texas just hit a three at the – oh, man, oh, look at the shot. That's <laughs> not, not just a three. To cover the first half. That was 45 feet. Uh, I thought he was inside. He's just, oh, he's further just outside the arc. Holy crap. That's like 55, 60 feet. Wow. Oh, my God. Uh-oh. We got USC and Miami coming down to the wire. 25.3 in that one. We got to pay the bills. We'll tell you what happens uh, on the way back. And Adam gets to watch uh, whoever he bet in this one, Southern Cal and Miami down the stretch. Miami, 65, 64, 10 against 7, 25.3 left in the game. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Cofield and Cofield and company. You have to go down and you got to make threes. A bunch of them. And then you foul immediately. And if you have to, you trade three for two. And I just don't know in a minute and 38 seconds. Not enough time. Down by 13 points. Yeah, Loyola couldn't get it done this morning. That was actually a pick 'em. Loyola falls to Ohio State. Kyle for one, two. Kyle, one, two. 54 to 41. Miami, USC. 65 64. Miami, 10 against 7 USC. Free throws. Makes one of two. 66 64 with 25 seconds left. USC can tie or take the lead with this trip. They tie. Drew Peterson right down the floor for a layup. So 10 seconds left in the game. By the way, VTech at the half. Down 34-32. Block at the buzzer. Foul, charge. What do we got here? It's a shooting foul, but he's going to make one of two. That's almost certain. Almost guaranteed. Adam has Miami one and a half. They called a foul. Well, he he got him down low. Yeah, 20 got him on the arm yeah. before he went up. Then the, the block was clean. Yeah, Miami driving right side of the lane. So tie game, two free throws, three seconds left. And, and by the way, Miami was up seven with 35 seconds. Charlie Moore, who has been at 18 schools now in Miami, probably 24 years old, experience guard out of uh, Chi-Town, if I'm correct, makes the first. I'm not going to jinx it. Nor am I doing play-by-play because we're not allowed to. If you want to hear the games live, by the way. he pro- By the way, he probably should miss on purpose. 12.30 the game. He should miss on purpose. He should Why? miss on purpose. There's no timeouts for Miami, so they would have to grab a rebound. USC. Uh, yeah, for USC, excuse me. They'd have to grab a rebound and try to push it up court and try to score. And, by the way, they're not going to shoot a two anyway. So why would it matter? We'll the book's reaction. Uh, Two-point game, three so seconds left. Should have missed that on purpose. Let's see. 
And that's in. <laughs> wow. Wow. USC, three off the glass from about 31 feet. No good. No good. USC, oh, no. Oh, no. Let me look at my brackets. How far did I have USC <laughs> going? Uh-oh. I definitely have Miami in every one. Uh, um, uh, yeah, I, I rotated in a couple of brackets on who I thought would win. So I just want to tell the story of uh, end of Texas, Texas Tech. You heard the roar before the break. Unbelievably bizarre end of the first half because Storm Murphy made a uh, former Wofford player who came with Mike Young to Virginia Tech, made one of the smartest plays I've ever seen at the end of the first half, and it actually cost his team a point. So they get the ball. They're down one, uh, Virginia Tech is, down one with about five seconds. Storm Murphy starts to dribble up the floor like he's going to go try to you know, heave one from half court and just stops dead in his tracks and lets a guy run into him from behind. Way more of a chance to score on that play than you would if you actually tried to shoot the ball there, right? So really smart play by him. Goes and makes the two free throws. So now they're up one. They're going to cover the first half. And uh, Texas comes out and throws up, as we mentioned, a, I don't know, 60-footer? 65-footer that goes in right before halftime to cover and uh, send the book into a bit of a frenzy. That was about as loud as a roar as I've heard over the first two days here. Crazy. Nothing better than Vegas. This is one of the great weekends in town. I think the best weekend in town. Four days of basketball, you know, 9 a.m. to freaking 11 o'clock at night. Westgate Superbook is jam-packed. The theater is jam-packed. By the way, uh, free entry into the theater for Sunday's game, so make sure you're down here today, tomorrow, and especially on Sunday. This is all going on. Adam and I, if you haven't noticed, probably college basketball is probably our biggest sport Really for both of us, right? We both love it. This tournament's awesome. It's awesome to bet. But there is so much football going on right now. (laughs) Devontae Adams comes to the Raiders yesterday, so there's a fallout on the Packers' side. A lot more to get to with Devontae. Just before we came on the air, we're on early today. We're going 1-4 to with Cofield and company. Deshaun Watson made his decision. And, you know, it's funny. I thought everyone kept, like, they were talking about where he's going to pick, and I was like, yeah, they still have to make a deal the other way. Sure. But I guess. But it was, was, so just. Think so, about, think about, but think about what Cleveland gave up in this deal. Deshaun Watson, we're going to get to his contract details here in a second, is going to get two hundred thirty million dollars over five years, and the Browns traded three first, a third and a fourth. I don't think there's been three first in a deal since Herschel. Yeah, that's how much the Texans. I thought f this up the whole way, Trey and, Lance. They, and they still. Trey Lance was three first. But it was three first for a first. Okay. But it was, it right. was three first. Maybe, which, maybe, which, it was that's, four, maybe it was four. The detail was for a player. Right, because that's what people are freaking out about. People are like, wait a minute. Trey Lance was like the same deal as Deshaun Watson. Now it's not because a rookie deal is so much so valuable for a quarterback in the NFL. There's no 230 mil of right. Um But he, here's the thing on the, you know, they still had to get the deal done. Deshaun Watson was only taking meetings on deals that had been approved by the Texans. So the deals were already in place for the most part. Now, what happened with with it appears with Watson the Browns because as we talked about earlier the Browns were out like the Browns were thought to be out of the running they were told they're no longer home oh that, that shot by USC was very close to going in uh the Browns were told they're out of the running all of a sudden today they're back in what it appears happened is they made this deal so insane and uh, insane listen you pay what you pay for a quarterback I, I I'm fine with it they made the deal so insane that Deshaun Watson almost couldn't say no 
guaranteed contract. The fi- the five for, you know, the five years two thirty, I think it is, is insane. But here is the real key to the deal, which is I think why Deshaun Watson took this deal. His base salary for twenty twenty two. One million dollars out of the that massive deal. One million dollars in base salary in 2022. Why is that important? If he's suspended. Why wow, that's smart. That's where it comes out of. That is smart. Brady did the same thing. Yeah. Remember they reorganized Brady's deal when he was going to face the suspension, yeah. so it didn't cost him as much. That is that is freaking brilliant. By the way, because your first thought would be, well, he's taking one million on the front end and then the back end is going to be really high and what an idiot you know that's not guaranteed no this is 230 million dollars fully guaranteed yeah yeah wow so deshaun watson very happy with the deal the browns happy to get a quarterback and some accusers very happy to have a lot more money to pull from oh boy ticket giveaway right now you want to see megadeth and the lamb of god mandalay bay mick ultra arena that's on the 9th of April. Tickets are available right now through the Mandalay box office. Caller 7 364 364 1100. Go see Megadeth, and Ari's going to hook you up right now. 364 1100. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Now the Knights get a steal. Carlson out to center. Across the red line. He shoots. He scores. William Carlson, empty net goal. Lifts both arms. Looks to the Raptors. Pucks both fists. Knights have a two goal lead. Field and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. And we could have tagged that with uh, 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey. Do you believe in miracles? It was feeling like that. I actually got a great tweet yesterday as VGK was starting. So St. Peter's uh, 15 had just knocked off a two in Kentucky, and our buddy Sean. On Twitter, one of our listeners, one of our P1s, said, bigger upset, St. Peter's or Vegas actually beating Florida tonight? And they got behind the eight ball early. I told you, I go in-game wagering, and Vegas in the first period down 1-0 is plus 270. Got it done. Nice rally. They, They came out of that. I mean... Listen, the way things were going, I think a lot of people were probably down and thinking that there wasn't much of a chance against a really good Florida team. But you know, the, the Knights are, you know, they're resilient. I know uh, Pete DeBoer last night talked about, hey, you know, everybody that is here is giving us everything they have, even if they're beat down, even if they're frustrated and everything else. So uh, I know he's been impressed with that part of it for sure. Please don't tell me there's a fresh injury. Oh, there is. All right, well, let's get into it. Darren Millard. One of the voices of uh, the Knights with AT&T Sportsnet does our 4-6 to six show on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Darren, how you doing, buddy? Good. How are you guys? You guys uh, owning it today? How's the brackets? Oh, my God. Uh, well, I had USC making real waves in the tournament, so they're out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're out. But luckily, I didn't have Kentucky last night. Uh, did, you fill out, did you fill out a bracket? Yeah, I did, but I can't remember it, uh, what it is. And I just know I have Baylor going deep. How many how many Canadian teams do you have winning? 
Uh, I have St. Francis Xavier okay. and the University of Manitoba meeting in the final eight. Okay. Well, there you go. You're going, going well so far. All right. Well, we just we want to talk about the win last night because that's massive. But yeah, um, and, you know, in the NHL, we don't really know the extent of injuries. But my God, with all the injuries, and then you know, Jack Eichel gets dinged up, or is it more serious? I, I don't know. It it. it he didn't return, which is not a good sign, uh, after returning for a couple of shifts, which means you give it a shot and it's not going well and, and you leave the game. Uh, so uh, just the, looking at it objectively from, from what I know, uh, that's not a positive sign, and it doesn't sound like he's uh, going to be available tomorrow. They're still waiting on some tests, but uh, based on, on what we heard from from Pete DeBoer today, uh, it's going to be uh, next man up uh, again, which is going down the line to the the 10th, 11th person now, uh, which is uh, is is crazy. And I, I think tomorrow's uh, as as with if if it wasn't a five game losing streak yesterday, uh, I would say tomorrow's game is more important than yesterday's game. But uh, you snap a losing streak, and that's obviously big. But uh, interdivisional game. Uh, LA is playing well. Uh, it's <laughs> it's a challenge beyond challenge. Yeah, a team that's in front of them in the standings as well oh, yeah. coming up. I, I would. How have you how have you felt about uh, Pete DeBoer's kind of attitude and how he's kind of uh, leading them through this? Because obviously frustrating. I mean, last night I can't even imagine the feeling of finally snapping a losing streak and then oh yeah, by the way, we have another superstar player that's injured. Uh, but I know he he was able to make a joke today because. Uh, you know, one of the beat writers, uh, my good friend Dave Shane from the RJ, I guess came in on crutches today. He popped his calf last night, and DeBoer is like, I mean, do we need an exorcist at this? This is nuts. Yeah. But he's he's, yeah. he's kept his sense of humor about it. Well, he, he's done that two days in a row where he's lightened the mood in, in and around uh, his session. Yesterday he walked in and said, before we go any further, uh, just want to wish everybody a happy St. Patrick's Day. It's my, my favorite uh, holiday. And, and that took away uh, any type of... Uh, uh, question whether he was in a good mood, bad mood, uh, knowing that they'd lost the, the the five in a row, and I thought that was that was really uh, strategic on his part, but also uh, great to just uh, let everybody know that uh, that the sky wasn't falling and and you weren't uh, uh, afraid of uh, asking a question and, and maybe things being short. And then today uh, starts it off by uh, just uh, can we can we request an exorcism or whatever <laughs> you you need to do, uh, burn some incense or. Yeah, because this is uh, now we've got media people going down, and then that's not uh, that's not good. Uh, it, it's funny we were, we were talking like the, between coaches and uh, uh, players and media people and broadcasters with uh, with Jay Nighy having the shoulder thing. It's it's bizarre. And when David Shane pops the calf muscle walking upstairs, uh, we're we're at a new level. So uh, the, the the building, even the coach is, is thinking that there's something cursed uh, going on around the building, and then like Jack last night like and he was playing great that 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 line was hopping last night and had so much jump and it was a great hockey game and you still don't leave it with with the full reward and and feeling good about yourself as you, as as you deserve sometimes i feel like you know a little bit more than you tell us but i'll 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 ask you this about robin leonard's situation yeah what what do we know we saw reports and i will tell you this I very briefly spoke to Robin last night, and he wasn't happy with the reports that were out there. Um, I don't know what's going on with this injury. I have no idea. If it is a broken kneecap, I'd be shocked because he didn't look like he had a broken kneecap, and he definitely fought back against that. What do we know about this? 
so the, yeah, there's there's times where I do know more than I can say, and uh, and that's just the nature of uh, of, of my job and, and sure. where I'm located, and and uh, and sometimes uh, I, I try and and tiptoe around it, and sometimes I'll just flat out tell you that that I can't say. Sure. Uh, th- in this case, I don't know. Like, uh, and and I'm being I I, I wouldn't BS you. Uh, Adam, uh, uh, sometimes I'll skirt, but uh, this this is a case where I I don't know. Uh, you ran into him last night, and that's more than than I've done. Uh, I've been able to uh, interact with with Robin uh, since uh, since he returned from from the road trip. Uh, so I'll lean on you uh, on this one. Now, the 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 uh, patella or a broken kneecap or whatever the report was uh, from the reporter. Uh, he pushed back on that and said, "Not true uh, again or wrong again," and uh, and went back at, uh, at this reporter who uh, I'm not going to mention the reporter's name because uh, I, I have some issues with some of that uh, direction Frank. of reporting. It's, it's Dr. Uh, Frank there. Yeah, uh, Dr. Frank, exactly. <laughs> uh, and and there's just the way the way it's happened and and been wrong. He's been right a couple of times, but uh, been wrong also a couple of times. So I'm not going to go down that uh, that path. But uh, Robin was pretty emphatic with with the uh, notion that it, it wasn't the uh, the fractured kneecap and uh, and and push back on that. Now you saw him last night. Uh, uh, you give you give me your assessment. Uh, put it this way: I googled, "Can you walk normally with a broken kneecap?" <laughs> and. Uh, there's conflicting things out there. I guess you could fight through it and, you know, not, not show a limp. I, I don't know. It, if it is, it would be very like a, a hairline, like a minor one, I would imagine. I'm not a doctor either. I have no idea. It, it is is crazy, though, how many conflicting reports we've seen on it and how much it's, it's he's out for the year, he's out for a week. Nobody has any idea. But so I think- let, me, let, me, let me jump in here for a second. Darren Millard's with us, uh, one of the voices of VGK Hockey. All right. So you just mentioned Frank Saravalli. So it's a couple times now with injuries. My, my question is, someone near Robin Leonard must be feeding Saravalli. So, like, where where is this coming from? Is it – I don't get it. Is someone trying to stick it to Leonard, the organization? Like, do we have loose lips in the or- – what, what is happening? Well, I don't think it's loose lips within the organization. Not with George McPhee and, and, and Kelly McCrimmon and Pete DeBoer. Like, it's uh, – it, the information's tied down uh, well. Uh, so uh, it's it's coming out from somewhere. Uh, Frank Zarabelli has uh, relationships uh, with certain people in and around the league. He's been around the, the National Hockey League in a long time. Uh, sometimes this stuff comes from other players on other teams. Sometimes it comes okay. from from agents, uh, and and it uh, is uh, distributed in, in that fashion. So uh, he's he's definitely been able to have access to some type of information uh with with robin now robin says he was wrong last time and he's wrong this time uh that uh is, is telling me that the the source needs to be adjusted or you need to, to fact check it a little bit more but when it comes to a kneecap uh uh that's a pretty important part of your body when you're a goaltender and you're butterflying and you're you're doing the the various things not saying that it wouldn't be for for uh, any other type of position player uh i don't know how long that would keep you out but if it was going to be term and I'll just go on on what I see uh, Vegas hasn't made a trade or uh, acquired a goaltender in any fashion which tells me that they're hopeful that it's going to be shorter term than, than, than longer term uh, you can have an egg with Bersois and, and Thompson uh, for a little bit but you're going to need the number one goaltender to have success 
uh, down the stretch or get into the playoffs. You ran, uh, you went right where I was going. Like we'll we'll know. We should know yeah. and have a good idea on Monday. Uh, we got the trade deadline coming up. If they don't go out and get a big banger at goalie, then well, then they have some confidence that Leonard's going to be good to go. Or I guess the flip I'll side back, of it I'll is, that. Well, I'll, uh, I will like, we'll also throw in there, Darren. Maybe maybe it means that all the other guys aren't coming back, and the Knights are like, you know, we're just going to go with what we have. Yeah, you know, I've heard that theory uh, a couple of times, and uh, I I don't think they're there yet uh, to 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 make that decision. Uh, with uh, a couple of months to go in the season, and uh, and while there's so many guys out, uh, and, and the injuries do range in severity, uh, I, I don't think that they've reached that stage. And and I'll go back to uh, you mentioned Monday's trade deadline, whether there's a goaltender uh, acquired, and will give us that. That's what I've been reading uh, since Leonard left the team uh, after the game in in Philadelphia and, and didn't play. Uh, when when he went down, returned to be evaluated, and there was no acquisition because Kelly doesn't sit around. Like he he's he. I've watched him in Major Junior. I've watched him in the National Hockey League. When there's a need, uh, he makes a decision and 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 then pounces on it. He's he's not waiting another two weeks until the trade deadline to to acquire the goaltender if there's uh, if there's a, a serious enough injury where he's going to be without his number one guy. So uh, uh, the more that this goes on where they don't acquire a goaltender uh, the more i'm inclined that uh, that they're expecting or hopeful that robin leonard will be back uh, and that i'm just reading tea leaves there uh because adam uh through his uh, sleuthful reporting last night uh has more uh, eyes on knowledge uh than i do well other people did more than i did i'll say that other people had uh, reportedly uh real you know deep conversations with robin mine was just real quick like how you doing uh, I know other people interacted with him, and uh, Robin was very outspoken about being mad about the report. So we'll see how it plays out. I know we'll uh, we'll get more information never uh, when they come back. I guess <laughs> when he's actually on the ice, we'll have more information. I, I, I like I like Robin pushing back though. Yeah, if, if, if the report is wrong, I have no issue with Robin uh, pushing back. I'm not big on athletes and reporters getting into it, but if it's wrong, uh, I, I I fully support Robin uh, coming back, especially. That this is uh, the second time that uh, that the uh, reporter in this case has been off the mark. Darren, good stuff, man. We appreciate it. Now uh, go check those brackets. I guarantee you're like 95 percent right now. 95 <laughs> percent. I'm winning yeah. money. Yes. <laughs> see you guys. We'll good see luck, you. sir. Darren Millard, AT&T Sportsnet. Wow, Leonard, getting aggressive. Yeah. Yeah, I'm fighting I, for his right to not be injured. It's, it's one of those things I don't know. I don't know how much was put out there by some other reporters who actually had longer interactions with him, but I will say Robin was very forceful to certain reporters last night in being upset about the report and uh, um, and trying and showing that he was not injured in the same way that it was reported that he was injured. Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.